Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. We are off and running, folks. Welcome to the podcast, Father John. Father Nathan. Father Nathan, who's louder than me. Let me turn you down. We're going to turn me down. I'm okay. We've been listening to a lot of uh, Daft Punk lately, so... And enjoying the show, Lonesome Dove, which, mm-hmm. uh, if many of you have seen, Hank Buckingham, your old friend, who turns 36 today, 37 today, 36 today, he says, uh, you sh- Americans shouldn't be allowed to vote until they've watched Lonesome Dove. It's true. Isn't that just uh, fitting? You know? Yeah. I think uh, there's a lot of character development going on in uh, Lonesome Dove, and we saw a lot of heart from Gus. You kind of uh, deeply resonate with Gus. Robert Duvall is a great actor. Oh my. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And Tommy Lee Jones. People give him a hard time because they think he's just... Uh, U.S. Marshals? Well, I was thinking of... Um, what's the one with Will Smith in the space? Oh, Men in Black? Men in Black. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's when he needed to pay his mortgage. But <laughs> when he when he really wanted to make some good film, he was doing Lonesome Dove. Yeah, it's great. It's the classic. Fugitive. Actually, have you ever seen The Fugitive? With uh, Harrison Ford? Oh, yeah. That's yeah, a that's classic. A, yeah. And he's great when in he that. he jumps off the... Oh, because he's the guy hunting him down. He's mm-hmm. the, the marshal or whatever. What is his name? I can't remember what the guy's name is. I'd like to thank Phil Bartline for the Weller that we're drinking. This was a uh, a gift for um, anniversary last week. Yep. Well, we got a. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, folks. We folks, don't have a lot of here's time. Here's the deal. Okay, Father John asked me, you know, what are you doing on Tuesday? And I said, I have ELC board at six thirty. Right. And I think I put the thing in at 6.30, ELC board, Early Learning Center board, um, where uh, we go through all of the literature that the kids will read, and I, I make certain banned books, put it on the index. No, we're going through the budget tonight. Anyways, I thought it was at 6.30. It's actually at 7.15. Is uh, Naughty Kittens on the... Uh... Naughty Kittens is a must read. Three right. Little Kittens. I think the, the kids need to read Three Little Kittens and The Little Red Hen. Ah. Uh. Folks, I think we mentioned on this podcast before, but if you haven't read The Little Red Hen, it's all about if you don't if you don't participate, you don't get any. You know? Another book that I think that you should read before you can vote. Yeah, there you go. That's true. Well, speaking of participating, we just had an amazing meal. He, he Goebbels been doing the Iron Chef thing lately. That was uh Iron Chef. Impressive. I like using leftovers to incorporate them into the meal. One, because uh we have these great uh Tupperware containers. Uh, that tend to collect in the fridge. And if you can knock them down by using a few things, it's knock nice. Them. Knock them down. Yeah, in that kitchen, we got one rooster and a couple of capons. A couple of us are just helpless. And my seminarian was a very good sous chef today. Uh, he did knife work. He did prep work. He He's learned very a docile. little bit about uh, food presentation. It was nice. He learned the way to your heart, which is servile obedience. Servile obedience and through the stomach. And through the stomach is right. So, well, this is good. This is the last week I get to live in this the glories of Schloss Goebbels. Nice. He put up your mom's oh, nice. Marian image. Oh, very nice. Sam put that up? Yeah. Yeah, that looks good right there. It does. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you were going to bite on that one. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, this is last week. It, he's got a... It's always hard. There's always a lot of fighting that happens at the end, you know. Right. Two guys who don't know how to deal with their emotions all the time. Yep. 
So, no, it's been a great, great month. I wish I wish I could stay all summer, but there's no room at the inn. So True. I got to move on. Father Brady Wagner asked me if I would like to take on two Myanmar seminarians to stay at the house. And I was like, Brady, are you serious? He said, no, I'm joking. If they could sleep in the pool. Right. Right. That's the only space I got left. I got, you know, you could sleep on the bowl out in the pool, or you could sleep <laughs> on, uh, there's a air lounger uh, that... Uh, that is coming out by the way um i got the exact same air lounger for my mom today for mother's day it is may 26th so yeah. just a little late two weeks behind she she just got a pool so so i'm this podcast won't come out before she gets so one it, so. guy in the air lounger was that seinfeld the- episode where remember kramer has the huge uh dressers, dressers. yeah put him in a dresser you know we'll see we'll see well we got an elc Meeting, board meeting. Board meeting coming up or so. We got to move to the topic. So technically what's about to happen he is He loves called, the fact that we don't have to do banter. Is We can't. You got to go. I'm ready. All right, folks. The uh, Heritage Liquors, come on down. <laughs> we, uh, uh, so Mikey Boy, that is Father Mike Rap. Mikey Boy is actually your brother, but sure. Father Mike Rap is on his way. En route. In route, but a little late, and so we're trying to whip one out here before Mike goes. Yep. And uh, so I'm digging back into the uh, files here. He's got a file of prepared podcasts. Yeah, it's a tag in Evernote called pre-podcast. You throw in your ideas. Wow. Yeah, this is called life not shooting from the hip. I got to do that. <laughs> Evernote could change your life. I don't know if you're ready for it, but... I'm using reminders on my phone. That's good. It's helpful. Steps. Baby yeah. step, baby okay. steps into the elevator. He's got a pre prepackaged podcast. Let's pre-packaged go. podcast. Well, the problem is we might have done this. That's the scary thing about as long as it's not priests on a plane or a quiz show. Quiz show. I kind of quiz showed Mike a little bit last week. That was fun to kind of stick it to him. Nice. I was like, I'm going to do that to you. I got to figure out the thing to do with you. With Mike, it was like find obscure Hebrew words and ask him on the spot. So. But, uh, you know, Goebel wanted to talk about marrying the church tonight, but I told him, you know, I think we're going to shake it up a little bit. Okay. I'm ready. So, uh, did we ever talk about the book Poverty of Spirit by Johannes Metz? Have you read it? No. It's a small little book. Yeah? We've done this. What I want to talk about is anxiety. Okay. Have we ever podcasted on anxiety? I don't think so. Okay. This is something near and dear to my heart because I am an anxious person. And uh, as you can tell by just listening and uh, the fact that we've been pressing record on our life for the last 10 years, mm-hmm. basically gives you the general contours of our personalities, all of our default uh, kind of baggage, weaknesses, probably all of our sins as well. So this is one of them for me that I personally uh, became interested in. There's three different uh, works that kind of uh, got me thinking about this, and we're just going to take a couple of like little quotes. But there's one by this guy, Johannes Metz, uh, called "Poverty of Spirit," German theologian. Very small little book, very accessible, and and I think has some great uh, lines in it. Unfortunately, I don't know what they are until we read them here because they're just sitting in my little Evernote file. There's another book uh, on anxiety by Balthazar, which people always want to ask me about uh, the Christian and anxiety. Have mm-hmm. you heard of that? Yes. A little, a little difficult. A little dense. It's a little. Have you read it? Angst. Angst. Yeah. No, I it's, haven't read it. It's a bit. Uh, I own it. I it's don't. a yeah. So that one. Um, 
più o meno. There's a guy named uh, Monsignor John Syak who wrote a dissertation on that book, and it's actually, believe it or not, more accessible and more interesting than his brothers made fun of him. They said, you did a 300-page dissertation on a 100-page book, and that's just kind of how these things go. Sure. So, so anyways, anxiety is something that 25% of Americans struggle with. Did you know that? I did not know it's that. It's the second mental health, largest mental health problem uh, only to drug use. What do you what do you, what do you define as anxiety? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know where okay. I got that quote from. Okay, it's in the file, man. You know. All right. Well, I mean, it, can you give me some insight into what anxiety? Well, do you know where the word anxiety comes from? Angst. Angst is the German. Where does it come from? From angst comes from anxios. Comes from angustia, in the Latin. Ooh. Which means to narrow. The birthing. So the etymological root of uh, <laughs> not birthing. Uh, the etolog- etymological root of anxiety, angst, is... Angustia. Angustia, the, it's the limiting. It's so, it's whenever the mind or the heart or human existence just gets fixated and limited on one thing. Hmm. Starts perseverating on it. It's a loss of vision. It's a loss of, of perspective, of scope, right? You get fixated on something. That would be the best kind of working you definition, I would examples? say. Um, no, I don't want to give you an example. Okay. So. Do you have any examples? You no, I just, just hypothetically. Hypothetically, you know, certain things on the kitchen countertop. Well, yeah. why is there a lid on the countertop and there's nothing connected to it? And it's just there. And if I touch it, then I get made, I, I get I crap from I all the guys that I live with. No, it was ridiculous. I didn't put that there. A plastic lid that should not be there. I didn't. I was, that was brand new. Angustia. Anxiety. Mm-hmm. Now, some of us get fixated on things and then we clean. And then you know when that you right. know when that train's coming through. You know when when I clean my room, it means that I'm usually pretty anxious about something else. Right. We have worse ways of dealing with anxiety. But I think that the general sense of it is uh, anxiety is is something that is clinically um, you know people who listen to this are some people who are uh, clinically diagnosed with anxiety. Um, it's a it's a tremendous cross to bear. And then there are a lot of us who uh, I think every human being in some way deals with uh, anxiety, which gets fixated on certain things. It's that kind of human loss of perspective. I think it's just connected to not just our limitations, but being fallen, original sin, Sure, that it just doesn't uh, necessarily, things don't get kind of ordered and perspective, and it, and it leads us to places of fear and ultimately to despair. So, But for the Christian, anxiety is connected to poverty, and in some ways, it's a fear, a running, an obsession, uh, or a concern around some kind of poverty. When I, when I reflect on my life and the things that I'm anxious about, um, and I tell people this in spiritual direction a lot, like it's important to acknowledge your emotions. If you feel anxious and you're in prayer, you need to go into that. Right? And for some of us who grew up in German families and we just didn't deal with emotions, um, it's actually a practice of like emotional check-ins. Father Helstrom's upstairs. He was talking about this 15 years ago when Mm -hmm. we were in spirituality. You have to literally check in and say, what am I feeling? I feel anxious. Why am I anxious? You'd be curious about that, you know? And so I think that anxiety is something that we have to kind of bring into prayer in a deep way. But theologically, anxiety is connected to poverty. And that's, that's where, that's kind of our entry point tonight. Instead of, instead of just 
telling yourself, I shouldn't feel this. Right. People do this a lot of times with anger. I shouldn't feel anger or right. I shouldn't feel sadness right. or I shouldn't feel anxiety. It's like, no, just allow yourself to acknowledge that you are feeling that and then begin relating that to the Lord right. in a particular way. Yeah, anxiety is, is a part of human life, you know? It, it's something that it just happens. I mean, we were just at, over dinner tonight, the priests were talking about uh, um, a parishioner, a woman that these guys all know very well, who um, is uh, just diagnosed with cancer, and, and there was a reaction tonight with um, with the chemo. I mean, this is... This is anxiety. This mm-hmm. is this this instills sure. fear in it, and it causes us to kind of perseverate on something. And that's natural. That's not bad. Now, again, this is distinct from um, clinical anxiety, which could be described as like you you fall into a hole, you know, and somebody throws you a ladder, and you need some kind of medication to help kind of kind of get things back on track, just to give you a little lift out of the thing, so you can still climb out. So we're not talking about just medicating it, but we're also not saying that you know, medication is, is, uh, problematic, but the middle ground here is just, this is part of the larger human experience Mm -hmm. to be anxious. Sure. So this is where METS kind of kicks off a little bit here. So this is very, of course, going to get very existential now. This is, uh, this is not so much practical. That's where you come in you're going to, you know, make everything very practical, helpful and funny because you're so funny. Um, and, uh, but we'll start with kind of a little broader. So here we go. Here's a couple of lines for you. This is from Metz. All too easily, man, man lives alienated from the truth of his being. The threatening, quote, nothingness of his poor infinity and infinite poverty drives him hither and thither among the distractions of everyday cares. He cannot successfully hide for long his, from, his mysteri- from the mystery of his being. If he attempts this, the truth of his being haunts him with its nameless emissary anxiety. So what we're interested in tonight is asking the question of what is the Christian response to anxiety? Okay, it's not so much just, again, clinical prob- um, diagnosis of these things, but just the generally considered, if anxiety is part of the human condition, what is happening when we run from the truth of our being, the poverty of our being, the limitations of our being, sure. death, suffering, guilt, grief you start running Fear. from these things and you create uh, more and more uh, problems of anxiety so this is the first thing is that the the human condition is fundamentally unstable and we all get you know dressed up and we walk around and we pick out our favorite mask and we go into society and we pretend like everything's fine and we think just because we're nice to people everything's great uh, that is precisely the problem because beneath that is the the Dionysian, as Nietzsche would talk about, this the kind of chaotic confusion and the kind of instability of human life. And I think th- this is the source of a lot of our anxiety is that modern man doesn't know how to deal with the fact that his life cannot be put together on his own determination. Hmm. So it kind of ties back in a little bit to what we were talking about last week. So, Do you find any like, parallel to like what's going on right now for you know how people are dealing with the the confusion and the the fear around the possibility of this illness and that that in some sense they're seeing for the first time the starkness of their own poverty the possibility of illness the possibility of death the possibility of losing their job or yeah i I, th- I think we've been we've become poor that's the biggest thing and that's why poverty is 
feeling poverty in a way is is an opportunity. Uh, I got an email from a friend today who's working with um, different a kind of a team of psychologists and priests, and um, the question was, what is the experience you're seeing in your brother priests right now? And this was sent out to a number of priests. And I said, I think we have a great opportunity here, but it's kind of like the people who are praying are getting more prayerful. People who are have a sense for community are getting more communal, but then the, the people who are watching Netflix are watching more Netflix. It seems to be dividing things into more extreme. Mm-hmm. If you're running from life, you're going to run further into illusion. But if there was already kind of a movement towards, I need to get back to the things that matter, I need to kind of get focused, it seems to be happening naturally. So, And I would say that some of that is when you, when you get pruned... Because I, I was talking to Father Stephen Akers about this today, and we were both talking about how this has been, in some sense, a pruning. When you get pruned, either you draw back into the life of the sap, or you are now disconnected, and you have been disconnected for some time. You hadn't been bearing fruit, so then you're cut off, and then now all of a sudden, like you're going to go to the very extreme, like the last thing. The last thing to to kind of die is like the the branch itself, right? But it 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 won't. I mean, the the leaves will die, the twigs will die, but then eventually it kind of it realizes I don't have anything. And then for a lot of people, they're having to make the jump back from that because I think there have been a lot of people that have gone into the extremes of Netflix and then have to, had to say, I I can't do this forever. You, you you try to drink from that well and you're never you're never sated. Yeah, and it's not just Netflix, it's alcohol. It's also exercise. I mean, it's any way that we're distracting from the truth of our being. What is the fact of my existence? Here's another line from Metz talking about this anxiety in light of poverty. Anxiety becomes the prophet of the repressed mystery of, of his being. With its alienation, anxiety takes the place of scorned poverty. That might be the best definition I, I have for you tonight. Anxiety is scorned poverty. Hmm. In the final analysis, man has one of two choices, to obediently accept his innate poverty or to become the slave of anxiety. So we could start there and say, from a theological perspective, anxiety is the scorning of our existential poverty. And get into your late 30s. There's a very funny Seinfeld um clip we were watching where he's talking about trying to make friends in your 30s have you do you remember that mm-hmm. very funny right this is where uh what's his name the baseball player keith hernandez keith hernandez right so keith's hanging out and he asks him to move and it's like well this is going way too fast it's a very funny episode but part of the part of what happens in your 30s is that relationships start to get pruned you step into your vocation you give yourself in a more deep way to a mission whether that's a family or work or priesthood to a parish, or a doctorate, or whatever it is, things start to get pruned out. You start to feel poor. You start to feel your limitations as you get older, mm-hmm. right? Physically, you can't do what you used to do, right? You can't go on those, you know, five-night benders like you did in college and sure. just rally every morning and be totally fine. Right. It just doesn't work anymore. And that's the only thing you had going for you was like, the only thing I have to be up for is, you know, you kind of do some th- stuff during the day, but then later you're going to party. Right. What I see is, you know, out front, uh, Father Hellstrom has done a lot of work on our property, and he's pruned this lilac bush that's directly in front of our our picture window. I don't know if you've seen it, but there are there is there are uh, flowers on every single branch. But if you look underneath, he has done a ton of work underneath the the bush to kind of trim everything else. Mm. 
And then there's the the lilac bush right in front of our door that is just growing wild. It's got leaves everywhere, but there's no there's no flowers. Hmm. And you know, there's sometimes where it's like I feel more alive when I just have leaves everywhere than just bearing fruit in you know kind of a limited way. I'm not asking you to do everything. I'm asking you to do this one thing. And then when it's that one thing, I'm like, no, no, I'll, I'll do everything else but that. Right. That's when you're cleaning your room, cleaning other people's rooms, cleaning up your inbox. and Cleaning you're not, other people's countertops. Cleaning other people's inboxes. And then eventually you're like, I got to deal with this one thing. Right. So, And I think that obedience, uh, which is something probably most people listening to this podcast, if you're in the lay state, you're trying to figure out what does obedience actually look like? Um, obedience is the pruning and a lot of it is that God is, the, the, the vine dresser is doing the pruning. Mm-hmm. The question is, quote, here you go, in the final analysis, man has one of two options, to obediently accept his innate poverty hmm. or to become a slave of anxiety. The rejection of obedience is the source of anxiety. Again, it's part of kind of the datum of human existence. Yeah. Some of it is is clinical, right, or genetic. Uh, but for everybody, we all share this we have a choice. We're not just slaves to our circumstances or slaves to our DNA. Like there's also human freedom, which says, will I choose this or will I not? And a lot of it means learning and understanding how to discern the will of God in your life. And that's why St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Ignatius of Loyola, Balthazar, all these guys talk about anxiety, Ignatius in particular, in his discernment of spirits. You're looking for it. Anxiety is important. He doesn't just say, like, be aware when you experience anxiety. He doesn't just say, when you feel anxious, that's bad. Get back to focusing on prayer. Mm. Suppress that feeling. That's just bad, and it's distracting. It's like, no, you need to understand. There's something intelligible in that because God is working in that anxiety because mm-hmm. he's pruning something. That's right. what's happening. Well, I just find that obedience is, I don't, I can't, I can't choose any option. I have to choose this option. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where I think, you know, Thomas Aquinas, you know, he got the reputation as being the dumb ox. But the dumb ox is the one who's actually yoked himself to the master and is just, he's content just moving forward like as a yeoman would down one path instead of zigzagging and stopping and whatever. It's just measured. Right. Aquinas locates anxiety in under the auspice of fear, right? So the loss of the good. Sure. And in particular, this is the loss of which I feel like I cannot live without. So a lot of that perseverating, that angustia, it's just like, I cannot live without this. I need this. This must happen. We kind yeah. of put ourselves, and we go down this path and path and path and path and path, and then we put ourselves in a cul-de-sac, and then it's a dead end, and then we're like, what the heck? I was talking to a guy who wants to marry a Catholic girl today, on the phone, we had a nice conversation, very open. He married twice before. We had to have a, he's not Catholic, but we had to have a conversation about you can't always just get what you want, right? And this is difficult, but it's like relearning how to live and how to think. It's not just about, okay, what, what hoop do I have to jump through so that yeah. I can get the annulment thing and the Catholic divorce, what I have to pay? To, it's like, no, we have to, we have to live differently. Um, and that means putting ourselves back in accord with God because without a relationship with Christ, and if we're not praying, we don't have a relationship with him. We're not living. We can't know the truth of our being, and we're going to become a slave to our anxiety. We're going to live kind of lost. You think of Dante in the forest at the beginning of the Inferno. You're just kind of lost out there with the beasts, and you've 
kind of given to the to the winds and to the confusions of life. And so that sounds to me like a lot like my teenage years when it was like my parents are like you can't you can't go to that person's house tonight. It's like, do you realize what that's going to do to me? Do you mm-hmm. have any idea right. how how much status I'm going to lose by not being present for all of these things, etc.? And so, if you continue that that mindset even into your 30s and 40s and 50s, it's like, why can't I? Why can't I build a, a backyard patio? Like, why can't we have that? Why can't I? You know, quit my job and do something different. You know, like there's sometimes where. Without proper discernment, you're only focused on that one thing where if that one thing gets taken away, it's like, it's over. It's over. Begin the pity party. Right. If I lose this, I cannot live without this. And it's like, well, you can live without everything except for God because he's the what sustains your being in place. Sure. Now, that's not easy. And uh, it's never like consoling when someone says, suck it up when you're losing something or when you feel like you're dying. But we don't have to live in that anxiety. The, the crazy thing that happened in the last century is that anxiety kind of became the centerpiece and the focal point of existentialist philosophy, I'm thinking in particular of Martin Heidegger, right? So this is your angst. And Heidegger starts his philosophy with Gewaffenheit, right, being thrown into existence. So a man finds himself thrown. You're just in. You're just there. You're existing. And then the question becomes, what do you do with that? And so much of existentialist thought is about using the willpower to kind of overcome hmm. this kind of, again, this datum of human existence, this kind of the givenness that we have. And you just feel that, the kind of self-made man is the one who can just, I can just conquer all anxiety and all fear. And I get what I want. Willpower. Right. Schopenhauer. Willpower. <laughs> Remember yeah. that? Uh, what's that from? It's from uh, Life is Beautiful. Oh, okay. Where he's just... He teaches him, you know, that if you just will it, you know, it will happen or whatever. Right. And he just stands over the guy and Schopenhauer, Schopenhauer. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say the opposite is, uh, is is surrender, and and not forfeiture in in like a negative way, but an entrustment, so that there's nothing more you can do. I mean, I I spoke to a lady yesterday. I had to go to Lutheran Hospital to anoint somebody with COVID, and I uh, talked to the uh, to his wife afterwards, and I said, look, he's in the will of God at this point. Wherever he goes, you know, that's ultimately the will of God. So, I mean, we believe that he's actually, through this sacramental power, like, you know, entered into a state of grace, we hope, you know, and uh, and so now it, it's easy to kind of say, we want him to come back, but what if that's not God's will? Yeah. And what if it doesn't happen, and then we say, well, God, you totally totally mess this up whereas if you actually have holy resignation then it's like you know lord we we give them to you yeah so i i think that's that's right on the the response and the opposite of anxiety is surrender or resignation in the sense of like entrustment right mm-hmm. hey michael, michael. How you, you shaved oh clean shaven you shaved Oh, okay. Man. Now meeting with the rector. Oh, you're okay. We got a couple minutes here. We're just wrapping this up. Professional. I got to at least look professional. That's very, right. Very professional looking. So, well, I'll take a break. Am I, am I on? No, we're, we'll we're, we're recording right now. And we're then. finishing up. He's got to go to this meeting in What's a couple up, minutes. Listener land? We'll see you in a few. <laughs> and he's out. Yeah. Classic. Surrender, resignation, entrustment. And I, entrustment. I'll just conclude here in the last five minutes with uh, how we. Um, 
how we try and live this. It's kind of built into our life in the companions. And I think that uh, it's because like, how do you get to a place of deeper surrender and deeper entrustment? Well, first off, you have to acknowledge your experience. Honesty. Right? Honesty. Brutal self-honesty is what yep. Escriva says, right? You got a brutal self-honesty with what am I feeling right now? I'm feeling anxious. Why am I anxious? You got to be honest about that. Sure. It sounds petty. It sounds stupid. It probably is petty and it probably is stupid, but it's also really important because God desires to meet you in the midst of that anxiety and to lead you through his grace to surrender and entrustment. But he wants to do that through human relationships. He doesn't just kind of zap us in prayer. So the two words that come to mind for the companions, which you've, if you've listened to this podcast, you know we're all about this, vulnerability and reverence. Those are the two things that play back and forth in my mind that, are, um, that create the kind of dynamism and the, the possibility of change, of converting your heart, of drawing you out, because really you need the other person. You got to come out of yourself, and God desires that you are drawn out of yourself to another human person in order for them to say, oh, wait, let's get the perspective. You got too truncated, perseverating on this idea. Let's pull back a bit. So vulnerability, reverence happen together. Last Friday, I gave a homily to Goebel. It was just the two of us saying mass, and it was the day after my anniversary. I gave a, just kind of a little personal, occasional homily, as Father Austin would say. He says I never actually give homilies. I give occasional sermons, so which is true. Uh, but talking about, I was being vulnerable, and uh, about how in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, there's this receiving, but there's also this taking. In John chapter 14 and 15, he talks about the Father takes from me in order to give, and, and there's this whole kind of interplay. And just looking at, like, why am I not okay with God taking things from me? Why has that been such a struggle in nine years as a priest? And then you responded with uh, a reverence for that received it. You didn't try and fix my life, but you actually spoke something deeper into it after the Mass, and it led to a really interesting and beautiful conversation that has, I think, uh, it's really affected my prayer for the last week. So that was vulnerability and reverence. The way I describe it is true vulnerability is disclosing one's poverty in such a way you can that it can be encountered, and true reverence is an encounter with another's poverty in such a way that it can be disclosed. So in vulnerability we have to disclose in such a way that we can be encountered or hurt. I mean, sometimes it's not easy. Yeah, not vague. Not vague. Right. And also not self-absorbed. Sometimes we disclose ourselves and we think it's vulnerability, but it's not. It's just us kind of, it's this kind of self-therapeutic thing that we're doing. And reverence is the encounter with another person's poverty in such a way as to be disclosed, that you draw it out of them, that you actually help them to kind of understand more deeply because it's wisdom, right? It's it's getting back to first principles, and uh, that's the that's what existentialism fails to see. It's like I can conquer anxiety on my own by my own will, and it's like no, you can't. You can only conquer it in relationship, fundamentally with God, but in His providence with the people mm-hmm. that He's put you around. So it really begins in that interplay of vulnerability and reverence. And I've said this. I've said this before, at least in our you know groups. Our uh, fraternal groups and everything. The question isn't what have you done. Um, that's the data. You can give a full report of everything that you've done in a week, and I don't think you're actually being vulnerable. You actually have to spend some time contemplating it. You know, even reverencing your own experience, right. like we were saying, acknowledging it, <clears throat> and then once you've once you've reverenced it, usually after you've you've revered something. 
you can you're able to say a few words about it. Yeah. Not everything, but you can tell when even in confession when somebody just comes in and they just want to give you the data. Father, you know, forgive me for I've sinned, I did this, I did this, you know, you know, didn't do this. For these and all my sins, I'm truly sorry. And then there's another time which again, I'm not saying you have to give the entire situation, but if if they just say out of fear, out of fear and sadness, I lied. Okay, like then you've actually acknowledged your experience, and you're able to you're you're able to render yourself vulnerable for someone to comment on such a way. And it is, I mean, every confession is a vulnerable moment. Mm-hmm. I feel like even for the people that, that all they can say is just the data. Um, but if they can kind of get to a place of of sharing their wounds, then the person in there can kind of say, and what has been going on in your life that has made you fearful or what has made you, you know, uh, you know, annoyed. And then you elicit from them a deeper understanding of their own self instead of just being like, well, what you did was wrong and you shouldn't do that again. And we move on. Right. So, um, I, I would say like with the people that you want to be vulnerable with, you got to spend some time, you got to spend some time coming to a place of what is it that, that is affecting me instead of just expecting everybody else to fix your problem. Right. Just vomiting on people. I'm anxious. Right. Th- let me tell you what I'm anxious about. Let right. me, let me get it all out. So, I mean, it's good that you share it, but I think that like you're saying, the, the first fundamental relationship is you and God. If you can begin processing it in prayer, it's going to go a long way to your relationships of friendship, marriage, brother, priests, staff, and then all of a sudden you can get to a place of wow, like I didn't realize that that was that that was so rooted in me, and I can share that with you, and then you can comment and say, well, I have been seeing that, or you know, I'm sorry that you're dealing with that. And I think the last point on that is reverence, oftentimes is reflective, at least in my experience. Game time decision, I'm anxious. The last thing I want to hear is somebody walk up to me and go, why are you so anxious right now? Why does your face look so tired? And I'm like, why am I going to punch you in the face right now? Whoa. Yeah, it's the worst because you don't actually always know in the moment what you're feeling unless you're phlegmatic and you're not feeling True. anything. Olo, happy anniversary yesterday, 15 years. So, um, Priesthood. Of priesthood. So the reverence is oftentimes in examine in reflection. Mm-hmm. And this ties directly back to what you were talking about, emotional literacy um, and just emotional intelligence, which many of us are lacking in and working at. And hopefully this very short podcast will but I would contribute say to oftentimes, it. Oftentimes we have fairly good emotional intelligence in certain areas of our life and in other areas. It's like we don't even see it. We just get sucker punched. So it's good for you to disclose it because then you can start to say, okay, like what... What can I do with this? Good. We better call it. Can you got to get to the can meeting. We, can we post this picture with it? That was that today. Was that me talking to my mom? <laughs> yes. Oh, jeez. Mom, I love talking had, on the phone. A, I was just working on the dissertation. He had a huge smile on his face. Right. No. Yeah, you want to become anxious. This was me anxious. Write a dissertation. Wow, look at you scrubbed up. That's crazy. We're going to keep looking at photos and tell you what we're looking at, people. It's just great. Well, I'm looking. I, I have a lot of... I, I, shout outs. I have a No, I have a section on my phone for shout outs, but I've recently exhausted them. And then the other day I was going through my photos and I found a bunch of the uh, the uh, shout outs I was supposed to give. I have one shout out. Naomi Capasso. 
she sent us a lovely message through the Archdiocesan Message Center. And that was very sweet of yes. you. Thank you. Because we need eight good ones for every negative one. So thank According you for that. to some. Thank you for that. So the Matthew family got us some crumble cookies. Uh, I don't know if you were here for that yet. There was some Sour Patch sugar cookies. So to uh, Sean, Meg, and Kelby. Sour Patch cookies. Yeah, they were tasty. I'm sorry you missed out. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Well, you weren't, I don't think you were here yet. It was at the time of quarantine. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see any others. Sorry. Anyways. Good. We're calling it? We're calling it, folks. We're calling it. Um, really appreciate it to uh, all the families at the Early Learning Center, uh, whose budget I will be reviewing tonight. Thank you again. We will be back next week with the one and only Father Mike Rapp. In just a few minutes, we'll be recording. But thanks for listening. Have a blessed Pentecost. And uh, we will see you in June. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Laters.